Hello, and welcome to Sundays at Coastal. This week, Pastor Kurt shares a message titled, Rest in Him from 1 Kings chapter 19. Can you imagine Elijah's joy when he finally saw his circumstances from God's perspective? This gives him all the energy he needs to finish the work God laid out for him right up until the moment he left this world behind. God invites us to do the same, to constantly surrender our perspective to him and receive his in exchange. That's resting in him. Well, welcome again, especially for those of you who are new. Well, that's not especially. Everybody's welcome, right? But I do want to point out, for those of you who are new, we do have three values, what we would say family values, right? Because we're a family. And so we have three family values that we talk about all the time around here. And so I just want to, it's important to keep those before us always. So I want to just highlight those really quickly, if I may. Is that okay? Okay, so first one is hope beyond our brokenness. Anyone here struggle with brokenness in their lives? Anyone here struggle with brokenness in other people's lives? Okay, then we're all on the same page, right? We need hope, right? Sometimes, maybe sometimes we feel hopeless because of our own brokenness. Sometimes we may feel hopeless because of other people's brokenness. And it's like, are they ever going to change? My wife wonders about that all the time with my brokenness. I can, you can ask her sometimes. She does exist. For those of you who haven't seen her, she's like, she sneaks in second service. So look for the unicorn. <laughs> she really exists. So this is beautiful because there is hope in a broken world. There's hope for healing. There's hope for restoration. And the reason there is is because there is a risen Savior who's conquered death. Because that's where brokenness comes from, right? Is the sense of death, that we're all wrestling with death. Whatever, there's endings in our lives all the time. Relationships end, right? Careers end, dreams end. Our innocence as children is shattered. Shattered. And yet, there is a God who conquered death itself and rose from the dead and then carried us into new life. So that every ending, everything that has been broken and shattered can be restored and we can experience new beginnings, even in the midst of endings. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? (laughs) I think so. It's the only way I keep going. It's the only way I keep going, even as I struggle with a disease that tries to stop me from keeping going, especially walking. So it looked like took a crane to get me up on the stage this morning, practically. Thank you, Sherrod. Thank you, Mia. So, but that's how we keep going, because we have a risen Savior who carries us along. And he carries us along, not only for us, but for us to bring restoration to our community. Isn't that awesome? That we get to be then his hands and feet and his hearts his heart, to the people around us. Just like Jody was this last week for for her friend Tricia. That's amazing, right? That's restoration for our community. That's what it means to be Coastal Community Church. So each one of these, these truths and these values that come with a choice. God, and this is important, God gives us, he literally hands us the power to choose to live them out. Do you believe this? That's good. Because if if we live like victims in our own, to our own minds, right? Our own hearts and our own will, as though we don't have a choice over what we think, over what we feel and what we do and say, then we're already, we've made the choice as a prisoner, to be a prisoner to the lies of of the enemy. That's a lie. We have the power to choose. So this morning, will you choose with me to walk in hope, to walk in trust, and to walk in restoration? All right, let's do this together. We're going to have them on the screen. Read these with me. Declare these with me. We are disciples who walk intentionally with God. Therefore, I choose to be changed by Jesus. I choose to seek Jesus first. 
I choose to join Jesus in his resurrection work. Awesome. All right. Take a deep breath. Because I have a question for you. In the midst of all of this, are you feeling some shaking in your life? Are you being shaken? Whether individually and different things happening in your own life, in your family, maybe in your job, maybe in your retirement, or maybe you're feeling shaken by things that are happening in our church community. Like, for instance, Andy and April announcing a few weeks ago that they're, being, that they're separated. Anyone here feeling a little bit shaken right now? Okay, we got some people. Well, good news, because that means for those of us who are feeling shaken, we're in the right place this morning. Because I believe God has given me a message. I went on a silent retreat a few weeks ago, a six-day silent retreat, my eighth time. And um, while I was in the midst of that, I was literally praying for us. And God dropped something in my heart that I'm going to share with you today. So are you guys ready to be encouraged? Some of you are. Okay, okay, good, great. So here's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at a a very defining moment in the life of a prophet named Elijah. So we're going old school. We're going to the Old Testament this morning. And I just want to, first of all, say, uh, define prophet. What is a prophet in the Old Testament for the Jewish people, uh, for the Hebrew people? A prophet was someone simply who listened for God's voice and then obeyed it and shared what they heard with everyone else. That's all that was, okay? Nothing crazy about it. So before we begin this uh, moment in Elijah's life that we're going to look at from 1 Kings 19, um, before we do that, uh, just before this moment, Elijah had experienced uh, a great victory in God's power. Uh, During his lifetime, The nation of Israel was ruled by a king and a queen named Ahab and Jezebel. And these two led Israel away from the worship of the one true God and into worship of false gods. And then Jezebel was actively hunting down and killing all of God's prophets. She was wiping them out. And with the help of 400 plus false prophets, who then she was installing in their place to lead worship astray. So therefore, God told Elijah to summon all of Israel for a spiritual showdown. (laughs) So 400 false prophets come against Elijah. He's looking at them. They got their six guns by their sides. And there's one man, like Clint Eastwood, right? I don't even know if he had, what was that? Like, what did Clint Eastwood put in the armor? That one picture, do you guys remember that? Wasn't it like the stove, like the door to a stove? I don't even know if Elijah had that, but he had God, and he trusted God. So he challenged these prophets to a spiritual duel in front of the whole nation of Israel. Can you imagine standing in front of a whole nation of people with 400 people against you? And he says, here's what we're going to do. We're going to see whose God answers, and we're going to, you're going to pray first, and then I'm going to pray, and each of us is going to pray to our God, and we're going to ask him to call down fire on this altar that Elijah had built. So the 400 prophets go first. They call down to their God, Baal, and they call him to bring fire on this altar and burn up the sacrifice on the altar, and nothing happens. And Elijah begins to make fun of him. Maybe he's on the toilet. Maybe he can't hear you. Like, he's indisposed, right? No, literally, he's saying things like that. And then when it's Elijah's turn, he just prays, God, show him, really. And he had dumped water on that altar. He had dug a ditch around the altar, so it was flowing with water, and fire comes down and burns everything up. And the people are so amazed by this powerful moment, they rise up and take those 400 prophets and kill them for all the murder they were doing. You'd think that Elijah would be riding a wave of popularity with Israel, right? But that's not what happens at all. Will you read with me, beginning in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1? 
Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servants there. Okay, okay, do you notice the emotion after this huge moment that Elijah, oh, that's okay, thanks, Rod, the minister of restoration, restoring that pen to its rightful place. <laughs> Thank you. So do you see the emotional output or the emotion that Elijah's experiencing in this moment? What is it? Fear. Fear. You think he's being shaken right now? Which is amazing, right? Because he just had this incredible victory where he, he like stared down 400 murdering prophets that wanted his life and God gave him the victory. And now, and now he's afraid and in his fear, what does it say he does? So do you think that's running towards God or away from God? Away from God. He runs in the opposite direction of the work that God has for him to do. What an idiot. What an idiot. I mean, okay, that is exactly what I thought of Elijah when I would read this as when I was younger in my faith. I literally would think, okay, what is he doing? Like, he literally is like having this incredible moment and he, God uses him to wipe out 400 of his enemies and in front of the whole nation of Israel, he's experienced the greatest victory of his life and he turns and runs. What an idiot. Well, <clears throat> Now that I've been following Jesus for a few decades, I get it. I get it. Because I've done the same thing. I've done the same thing. I, I've run from God more times after incredible victories. I've seen God's hand in my life, and, I, and then I've turned and, and ran the moment I felt even a little bit shaken. Like maybe a moment where my wife even just said something stupid that, I, that was hurtful to me, that I, then I was shaken and I ran from God. What does running look like in your life? Like Elijah literally, physically ran, like away. But what, is, what does it look like to run from God in our lives? It simply means to turn to something else for comfort or for reassurance or for or for leadership even, or for guidance, rather than God first. This could be anything in our lives. We could, instead of turning to God the minute we feel shaken, we could turn to Netflix. We could turn to TV and try to numb it out, and ignore it, act like it's not there. There's other things we could turn to to numb, like, for instance, shopping, right? Or even gossip, just talking about the thing with other people without actually doing anything about it, right? Talking to other people before God. There's other things that people do. Even in this room, we turn to sex, pornography, food, drugs, smoking weed, right? We'll, we'll turn to tobacco. We'll turn to anything but God. That is running from God. And I've done this more times than I want to admit and this is why I really resonate with these lyrics from a, a song called As You Find Me from Hillsong United. If you've never heard this song, it is absolutely one of my favorites. This is me so often. Maybe it's you too. I've been strong and I've been broken within a moment. I've been faithful and I've been reckless at every bend. I've held everything together and watched it shatter. I've stood tall and I've crumbled in the same breath. If Elijah's an idiot, so am I. So what do we do when we're shaken? What do we do? And more importantly, how does God respond to us? 
when we're shaken and we run. That's the heart of everything we're going to talk about today. And this is important to keep in mind because it will clearly help us see God's character in his response to Elijah as we continue reading about this moment in his life. So, before we go on, do I have permission to speak to your heart of hearts? Thank you. Do I have permission to speak into the places where you're shaking right now? Will you pray with me? Father God, thank you that you love us idiots. Thank you you love us when we're doing the stupid. Thank you that you love us when we're running from you, when we're feeling the most broken. Thank you that you are here to comfort us when we are shaken. So God, we need you today. We need you to speak into those places. We command in the power and authority you've given us, we command everything opposed to you in this place to be bound and silenced and go to you, Jesus, to be judged. Do you agree? Online, do you agree as well? God, we command that only your Holy Spirit will prosper in this time together and we place the cross of Christ between us. Do you agree? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, let's continue reading. We're going to be in 1 Kings 19, verses 4 through 5. But he, let's read this together. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree. So I have a question. Have you ever been so tired and weary of life that you just wanted to die? And physical sleep, no matter how much sleep you you had, didn't help. Anyone ever been there before? What created that weariness in you? So, uh, years ago, I was uh, leading a church community that God had moved me from Las Vegas, living in Las Vegas for 25 years, moved me to the Central Coast to plant a church in, in San Luis. And this was six years into it, and uh, my elder team gave me a sabbatical, a three-month sabbatical from uh, doing anything, three months off. You know what? I needed it because I was absolutely exhausted. And as I was, I was going on that sabbatical, pretty quickly into it, I realized even though I was exhausted, I couldn't rest. And I'm wrestling with God. Like It took me six weeks of 12 weeks to get to a point where I could release the things that I was struggling with and actually relax and rest in God. Six weeks it took me. And when I finally started to get there, this is what I heard God say to me in those moments of just being still in silence. He said, you're exhausted and at the end of yourself because you've been trying to carry the weight of leading your church community all on your own, more than you had realized. You talk about praying, and people believe you're a prayer warrior, but you're not giving the burdens to me. And that burden, that, those burdens you're not giving me, they're killing you. They're literally crushing you. So I'm going to take the rest of this time to teach you how to notice them and give them to me. So when I, when I first came to Slow, I would prayer walk my whole side of, the t- of town from Los, on Los Osos Valley Road from Foothill to Costco every week, every neighborhood, every morning, two hours, every morning, I was prayer walking neighborhoods, seeking God for the people in those homes. And in my sabbatical, God said, stop. I want you to take those two hours and I want you to sit and listen for my voice. And here's what God was showing me in that there are two ways of living. We either let God carry our burdens or we carry them. That's it. Those are the only two choices that we have. When we're shaken, what do we do with the burden that's shaking us? We either carry it 
or we let God carry it. Giving God our burdens constantly leads to us living in a restful state of being. Take it from my experience. I'm telling you this is true. Even when our lives are filled to the brim, we can have rest internally. Trying to carry the burdens of our own concerns by ourselves, that is acting like we're God. And it leads to us being crushed. So how does God respond to you and me We all do this, right? We all take the burdens back on our shoulders rather than giving to God. Anyone want to say, I'm guilty of that? (laughs) Yeah, I am all the time, obviously. So how does God respond to us when we choose to carry the concerns and the burdens, carry that weight and run from him? These next few verses are going to show us exactly how he responds by showing us how he responded to Elijah, who had just said, I just want to die. Let's read this together. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. We're going to keep going. There's a little bit more to the story. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. So here's Elijah, right? He's exhausted. He's run from God, but he can't run away from God, right? He can't. God comes running after him. And here's the beauty of this moment. Just like Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden when they really screwed the pooch and they messed it all up for all of us, right? (laughs) Right? They messed it all up for all of us. What is God's response? He comes chasing after them. How many times have you heard that our sin separates us from God and thought of God standing back like a kid who takes his ball and goes home and says, oh, you're going to sin? Well, your sin has separated you from me. I'm done. If we're not seeing anything else, please notice, who's the one who's separated in this story? Elijah or God? Elijah. Elijah. And God comes after him. And not only does he come after him, chasing after Elijah... Not like a vengeful parent. I've had some experiences where my dad was chasing me and I did not want him to catch me, (laughs) right? This is not that. This is Psalm 23 where David says, and surely his goodness and his love pursue me all the days of my life. This is God's goodness and love not letting Elijah go. He loved him so much he's running after him and pursuing him. So, How many of us, let's be honest, how many of us have had moments where we really felt that God was angry, vindictive, and vengeful, that we saw God that way? Anyone? How about this? Like, this is what I think of when I think of that view of God. Remember Bruce Almighty? Do you remember that movie where he's going, smite me, almighty smiter? Where's my, oh, there it is. There it is. This is the moment. Like, how many of us have thought that, okay, God, just smite me, almighty smiter. I've really messed up and screwed it all up. Just come and destroy me. That's not the way God works. That is not. He comes and he approaches us from a relaxed and restful state, always. Do you know that? That God is not frustrated with you and your failures? The word holiness is so important. Do you understand this, that God's holiness is such, in, in our culture, right, it is a negative word. Holiness is a negative word. But holiness is actually incredible because holiness means separate, different, set apart. And God is different from you and me. Can I get an amen? amen. He is different from us. His patience is infinite. His love is infinite. His peace is infinite towards you is infinite 
It can never run out. How many of us are, have love that runs out at times, patience that runs out? Yeah? God's never does. Just like he did for Elijah, God approaches you and me from a restful and relaxed position always. That's always, always how he relates to you and me. Always. That's his holiness. And in this moment, how God relates to Elijah becomes the foundation that defines the rest of his life. But as we'll see, it's going to take a little bit for Elijah to get this. Here's God serving him and his running. God serves him to a point where he restores his strength, which gives Elijah another choice. Does he run out of this strength that God has given him? Does he run to God or away from God? And what does Elijah choose? To keep going, to run from God. It, despite God's patience with him, he keeps running. It says 40 days and 40 nights and this new strength that God has given him, he runs for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, in my life, I've had people call me the energizer bunny but I have never run for 40 days and 40 nights. That's like starting right now if we all got up and started running to Santa Barbara. That's how far he went to the Mount Horeb. He, he goes there, and yet God meets him all along the way. So here's the question. For us in this moment, are we ready right now to give up that vengeful, vindictive image of God yet again and receive his holiness and kindness and love towards us. Are you ready for that? Yes. All right, so let's, before we go any further, let's pray this together. If, if you're ready, I'm gonna read it once just so you can see it, and then if you want, we'll, we'll pray it together. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I choose to give you my distorted perspective of you in which I see you as vengeful and vindictive, often relating to me from a place of anger and frustration. And I accept your gentleness, your mercy, your kindness, your generosity, delight, adoration, love, joy, and your heart of celebration towards me in Jesus' name. Do you agree with that? You, want to, you ready to pray that? Okay, let's do it. Heavenly Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, I choose to give you my distorted perspective of you in which I see you as vengeful and vindictive, often relating to me from a place of anger and frustration. And I accept your gentleness, mercy, kindness, generosity, delight, adoration, love, joy, and your heart of celebration towards me. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well done. Feel a little better? Feel a little encouraged? Ready for more? Yeah. All right, let's do this. Okay, let's keep reading. 1 Kings 19.9. So he's running from God still, remember that. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? <laughs> oh my gosh, I love, I love this question. Do you see the gentleness in it? He's just asking Elijah, what are you doing here? This is what conviction looks like, guys. Isn't this great? This is what conviction looks like. Conviction is all about God showing us our resistance to seeing and receiving his best for us in each moment so we can let it go and rest in him. We can let the burdens go. The conviction is, hey, you're carrying too much. Can I carry that for you? That's God's conviction. And it's meant to encourage us. This happened to me uh, about a month ago. I woke up one morning. I'd been running from God. I'd been turning to other things besides him in prayer for like three days. And I woke up, and it was a Sunday morning, and I'm just getting to consciousness. I'm not even all the way there yet. You know, the, that liminal space where you're kind of in your still in, in the dream state, but you're, you're, you're not totally asleep, but you're not awake yet. You know what I'm talking about? And I hear God's voice say to me, are you done yet? Are you done yet? Or do you want to keep going? And how does this feel? I'm like, oh, this does not feel good. There's no joy in this place. And he's like, are you done yet? And I'm like, yeah, I'm done. He's like, good. You want to receive all my joy right now? 
and my love for you and my heart towards you? I'm like, yes. You want my patience? Yes. And man, I received it as I was still waking up. Better than coffee. I know you coffee drinkers, you can kill me later. But it was. It was better than coffee. And here comes this day where I am now, I have given him my burdens. I've given him all the things that caused me to run from him. I've given him my running and I've received his forgiveness and love. And I walk into this place on fire and I get to hang out with all of you and I'm just like bubbling over with joy. They're probably, you guys were probably thinking that day, what is going on with this guy's like, give me a hug, give me a hug, give me a hug. That's, that was me. I was so filled with joy that whole day. It was incredible. It was incredible. So, Remember, though, that it took me a few days to get there, to be open to God. It's taking Elijah a little time. Even though God's been kind and kind, it's taken him a little bit of time for it to go from his head to his heart, right? And we can see that because he's still not there yet as we read the next verses. Let's read these together, starting in verse 10. He said, I, am be- I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. I mean, what's the little violin, right? This is Elijah. Okay, let's take a look at this pity party that Elijah's throwing for himself right now. Where, where, if you read that carefully, where are all the problems according to Elijah? Are they with him or with other people? Oh, yeah. Anyone else ever been there where it's everybody else's fault? No, just me? Okay, yeah, everybody else's fault. Look it, they killed your prophets. They're doing this. Look at what they're doing. They're doing that. How does God respond to that? Does God start yelling at Elijah, beating him down for being, blaming all the other people and talking smack? What does God do? He, he, he gives him one simple action. What does he say? Go out and stand on the mountain. Ha, what is that all about? Have you guys ever climbed a mountain and looked out at the view? Have you ever been on top of a mountain? Maybe you didn't climb. Maybe you got helicoptered in. I don't know. But... <laughs> I mean, that would be nice. But have you ever looked, been on the top of a mountain and looked at that view? How did you feel in that moment? To look down and see all of that. Small. Yeah, right? Kind of puts you in your place, right? It's kind of like for those of you who like the ocean, not me, but if, I don't know why I'm living next to the ocean, but have you ever been on the ocean and felt that way? So small in the vastness of it all the majesty, the breathtaking beauty that you're surrounded by. It just puts you in your place, right? This is what God is doing. He's pulling Elijah from his pity party self, you know, narrow focus to give him a bigger picture. So this happens in my life all the time. So um, my wife and I, one Christmas, uh, got these sort of matching t-shirts with transformers on them. Mine said Optimus Prime, and hers said Negatron. (laughs) Now, to be clear, I have to be clear on this. To be clear, um, this was my wife's idea. Like, she's the one who calls herself Negatron and calls me Optimus Prime, okay? Just to be clear. But... If you, and my nephew and niece took that and they made these t-shirts for us. It was a big joke, right? But if you ask my wife, you know, are you, are you a negative person? She'll say, I'm a realist. <laughs> I'm not negative. I just, I just see reality, right? And I agree with her. I agree with her. Because when we talk about hope beyond our brokenness, to get to hope, we first have to face the brokenness. So yeah, she is a realist. She faces the world and sees it for what it is and then figures out how to deal with it. So if we're not facing our own stuff like Elijah did it in this moment, 
He didn't face his stuff. He ran. That's not being realistic. He just ran away and narrowed himself down into this little shell and took off from God and did not let God into that. So that isn't realism to ignore things, to numb things. It's important to name and face the junk in our lives, the hurt, what's, what's shaking us. It's important to talk about it. It's important to name it. But that's not the end. Hope is real. In that picture of brokenness, there's a greater truth beyond it. And so it is also realistic to hope and to see the, beyond the brokenness and see the God who is rest, restoring everything back to life. Amen. That's real as well. And this is where Elijah's stuck. He's stuck in the first part. He's just naming all the junk. And he's narrowed down into this place of despair and hopelessness. So I love God's response. Don't you? Go stand on a mountain. <laughs> Get out of your own head and go look at this view. It's God's way of changing Elijah's perspective. And he does. He does do it in a very dramatic way. Let's read this together. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind, and after the wind, an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake, and after the earthquake, a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. What in the world is going on? What is going on? Notice there are three things that are pretty dramatic and traumatic. If, if I was standing at the, at the mouth of this cave and I saw a wind whip through strong enough to rip rocks off the mountainside and cause a landslide, I think I would be in a brown alert situation needing a diaper change, <laughs> right? Right? Anyone else here with me? Right? I mean, come on, landslide, right? It's a great song, but I don't want to live in it. How about, how about an earthquake? Anyone here ever experienced an earthquake? Yeah, me too. But like, unlike most people in an earthquake, you know, you go find the closest shelter and you hide. I was in a hotel room in San Diego. I thought it was great. So I went out and stood on the balcony. I'm on the phone with my wife, and I'm like, the balcony's shaking, and I'm looking around to see all, all the things that are happening. I'm like, I'm on the balcony. She's like, what are you doing, you idiot? Like, <laughs> go get into, like, the doorframe and huddle, huddle down and, like, you know, freak out. And I'm like, oh, this is great. <laughs> so that's not Elijah, right? He's, like, trembling. He's in the middle of this thing, and he's trembling. And then there's a fire, right? And it's not just, like, a campfire, like, it's like, you know, the, we know what, here in California, what fires are like. I mean, paradise. <sighs> right? Joe just went up there not too long ago, and he said, you know, that, like, there's all, every house is new. He's like, this is crazy, because 90% of the town was burned to the ground. People's lives, right? This is a serious stuff, and Elijah's watching this. But what's really wild is it says, where was God? Was he in any of that stuff? Was, was God in the wind? Was God in the earthquake? Was God in the fire? Really wild. It says that God, right? God came. Here's God. He comes. All of this stuff, he passes by, and all of this stuff happens, but God's not in it. What is going on? So think of, a picture in your mind, like a rock being dropped into a lake, right? This is like God coming into, onto the scene. The presence of God has an effect. When God shows up, things happen. He shakes things up. And so in this moment, God is passing by, and all of these things are happening because the presence of, and power of God is coming, but he's not in any of them. They're just the effect as he approaches Elijah. They're the effect of him showing up just as simply as a rock being dropped into a lake has a ripple effect. And what is, what is the effect 
on Elijah being shaken by all these things as he stands before God and sees all of these things happening in the entrance of the cave, what is the effect that it, does it have on him? He hears the whisper. Look, look at the next verses. Can we bring those up? Verse 13, and when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) But notice, Elijah hears that still, small whisper. How did Elijah hear God's still, small whisper when all along through this journey up to now, Fear has been screaming loudly in his head. God prepared the way before him by allowing those other things to happen for Elijah to be so shaken, finally he was ready to hear God's voice in the shaking. God does this in our lives. He's not necessarily in any of the stuff that's shaking us, but he'll use it to get us to a place when we're ready to stop running and start listening to him. This is, I think, when, when I first heard about Andy and April separating, this is the verses that came into my head, Hebrews 12, 26 through 27. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Here's what's happening in this story with Elijah in this moment. God is allowing him to be shaken even further so the fear and the anxiety and the insecurity and all of that stuff is shaken out. So all that remains cannot be shaken confidence, hope. This is what God is doing. I really believe this. I'm telling you, family, and what's going on in our church community, I really believe God is allowing a shaking to happen so that all the things that can be shaken are removed and that we are solid with with only what remains is cannot be shaken, confidence and hope, strength, power. That's what's happening. How do we, do you want that, first of all, How do we appropriate that? How do we appropriate that? Well, first of all, notice that God speaks a second time, a second time, saying the same question. He repeats himself. Why would God do that? How many times has the the stuff in the world shaken us so that we can't hear anything but the noise of the world around us? This is one of the things God does. He'll repeat what he's trying to get through to us. He'll repeat his invitation to come to him when we are running. He'll keep repeating it in all these different ways and circumstances until we know that that's God's voice. So if you're in a moment where you're hearing the same thing multiple times and you're saying, like our kids, like, I hear this all the time. All I ever hear is this, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's God speaking. You could tell your kids that, (laughs) right? Well, maybe there's a reason why you're hearing it all the time because God is trying to break through to us. And so what does Elijah say? He says the same thing all over again in verse 14. I've been very jealous for the Lord. He goes into the whole diatribe again and it's all them, they've done it. And so in this moment, though, he's ready. And this is what God says to him. In 15, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. Go back the way you came. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazazel to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall appoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, love that. I won't even try to say the next part of it. But you shall anoint him to be prophet in your place. So notice this. Who's king right now of Israel? Ahab, his wife, Jezebel. God says, no, go back the way you came. Look at, I've got, you're not alone in this. 
You, there are people that I'm going to place in those places of rulership that are going to do what I want them to do. Jehu's going to take care of Ahab. And if he doesn't, Hazael, anoint him, and he's going to help as well. And not only that, I've got someone to replace you. You're not alone. This is how much he thought he was alone, right? And God's like, no, you're not alone, Elijah. You're not alone. Are you hearing me? You are not alone. And look how it goes on. Can we get the next verses? Oh, they're up. Okay. And the one, so pay attention, Kurt. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hosea shall, Jehu shall put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elijah put to death. Yet I will leave, how many? 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Elijah just got his mind blown. He's on a mountainside. He's looking out and he sees all these things and now he's listening. He's shaken enough to listen to God's voice and here's what God says. You're not alone, Elijah. There's not seven people with you. There's not 70 people with you. There's not 700 people with you. There are 7,000 people still standing with you. You are not alone. Open your eyes and see what I see. Exchange your perspective, your narrow, limited perspective for mine. Are you guys in your season of shaking? Are you ready to exchange your limited perspective for God's? Are you ready right now to do this? Here's why we need to do this. Because it's a gift from God. It's a gift from God to be aware that we're shaken. You need to know this, first of all. Before we do this, it is God's gift to make you aware of anxiety that you're feeling, fear that you're feeling, insecurity, worry, shame, grief, all of that is God's gift. Not the things that you're feeling, but the awareness that you're feeling them. How many times have we thought the opposite? When we feel anxious, we feel like that's a curse and we run into something else to numb ourselves. When in actuality, how can we know that we, are feeling, that we need to go to God if we don't know what we're feeling? God's gift to us is the awareness that we're feeling those things, and with it comes an invitation. Come to me and give those things to me. That is God's gift with an invitation to you. Remember what we said when we made the choice to choose hope, trust, and restoration? If we live like victims to our minds, our hearts, and our will, as though we don't have a choice over what we think, over what we feel, over what we say and do. We've already made the choice to live as a prisoner to the lies of the enemy. You are more than conquerors. You are not a victim to your thoughts and your feelings. You don't have to run from the anxiety. You can name it, face it, and give it to God. Are you ready to do that? Then let's pray together right now. This prayer, pray it with me. Father God, I choose to give you my perspective on my circumstances, all the fear, anger, condemnation, and shame that comes with it, and receive your perspective, all the love, joy, peace, and rest you bring with it. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, this isn't the end, guys. We keep doing this. This isn't a one-time thing. This week, when the fear comes in, when you start to wonder about what God is doing in Andy and April's life, them, right? Go back to this. Give them to him and let him deal with them and you choose to receive his love and peace for you. When you, your spouse or somebody else this week rattles you and shakes you, go back to this again and again. Give, notice what you're feeling. Give it to God because he is safe.
Just as we saw with Elijah, he is safe with you to be honest with him, give him that stuff, and keep receiving. You, are you committed to doing that this week? Yes. All right. So then, only one thing left. Will you stand for the benediction? And before, before I do this, we have a perfect opportunity for you to name, face and name the stuff that you're dealing with. It's called Table Talk and Discussion Groups. It's really where the stuff goes from our head to our hearts when we are engaged in community. So right across the street in our offices, inside and on the back patio, we've got groups and you're invited to go and talk about this stuff. Talk about what's going on in your lives and the things that are rattling you and shaking you. You're invited, okay? And also, if you need prayer, come uh, right to the front after this and we'll, uh, we'll pray. And don't forget, Alpha is out there, okay? All right, so would you do this? Would you hold out your hands, open palms up so that I may bless you God, yes, in the power that you've given me, I bless each and every one of you with sensitivity and receptivity to see when you're shaken this week and also the power and the confidence and the hope to give it to God rather than run from it. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you all. Go enjoy donuts that are calorie-free. I'm lying, but just enjoy them anyway. Pastor Kurt Flagel is the pastor of Mission and Discipleship at Coastal Community Church. It's located in Grover Beach, California, and serves communities across the Central Coast. Join us online each week on Sunday morning at 9 a.m. for our weekly live stream. We also have two in-person services at 9 a.m. and 10.40 a.m. in our sanctuary. Coastal Community Church is located at 1830 Farrell Road, Grover Beach, California. For more information, visit our website, www.mycoastal.org